utilizing my awesome new microphone so you can actually hear my real dulcet tones. Whenever I hear myself back, I'm always yeah. surprised at the complete lack of bass in my voice, which is not real. I assure you, <laughs> my testicles have dropped. I do prove it. <laughs> well, let me whip them out here for you. Uh, uh, I'm glad this yeah, body no, only. And you are listening to Brute McVeigh's Wrestling Review. As uh, we just finished up our pre-production meeting, talking about cruise lines and testicles, DJ Convoy, how are you, man? <laughs> After suffering the existential crisis of the soul, I am A-OK, and I am here to party with my buddy, Brute McVeigh, and talk about yes. some crappy old wrestling mags. Yes, you are listening to Brute McVeigh's Wrestling Review. As I said, one of the top ten uh, wrestling magazine-related podcasts <laughs> on the internet and we're hoping to crack the top seven with this one because we took a week off to really focus, and I picked out a great magazine for us this week. We are going to go over PWI 1998 poll, where they ask 50 hot questions Ooh. to industry insiders, and I think this is going to be a really cool uh, episode, man. This sounds good already. Listeners, this is a complete shoot. We... Honestly and truly did not discuss this prior. We did talk yeah. about cruise ships and testicles. So I'll be I'll be uh I'll I'll be your surrogate here as he asks me this poll question, these poll questions. I, I assure you I've not seen them ahead of time. No, I haven't even read ahead. I just picked <laughs> out this magazine. I found Sounds a really cool me. website. I want to plug the website wrestlingscans.com. They have a bunch of PDFs of old wrestling magazines. And uh, I'll probably have to donate to their, uh, I think they have a donate button because we're going to be using this website quite a bit, uh, I think, moving forward. But this looks like a cool one. We might get two episodes out of it, but I want to do the 50 hot questions for this one. Um, some cool stuff on the cover. Here are um, some of the questions on the cover. It says, can WWF reclaim wrestling's top spot? Sorry, I had a a little burp in the middle. I'm drinking a delicious Elysian Great Pumpkin Imperial Ale. Are you a it's beer fan? It's secretly Anthony Scats. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? A though? very inside joke for the five people that listen to this podcast. Yeah. You know what? He's not a big IPA fan, so he can shove it. Okay. okay? Um, who is wrestling sexiest woman, and can the NWO survive another year? And... Uh, some really cool um, other stuff in here that we're not going to get to on this one, but maybe next time. Here are some of the other articles. Still confounding the medical world. In quotes, when Sabu dies, I want to perform the autopsy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an interview with his doctor. Oh, my God. That's amazing. It's uh, Rocky Maivia, wrestling's weakest tough guy. That one aged well. Yeah. And then Bill Goldberg, a fan's dream, a matchmaker's nightmare, which is a pretty, <laughs> that's kind of on the spot because there, there they had be no some, idea. There might be some truth to that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they had no idea how to end that streak. So um, we also have a cool ad for the ECW hotline right um, on the inside cover. One ninety nine a minute. And if you didn't hear it on the ECW hotline, it's not true. And wow. it also specifically states you cannot call yourself a fan of ECW if you haven't called this hotline. <laughs> I, I better never refer to myself as an ECW fan ever. Again. Legally, you can. Oh my God, Paul Heyman's going to come after me. Paul Heyman hates you. He told me. Oh my God, I'm sorry, well, Paulie. 
He, yeah, so we have the PWI poll here, and let, let's just jump right in. Question one, this is a appropriate one. Who is the best pound-for-pound wrestler in the world? In 1998, who's your guess? Benoit. Benoit. Big fan of Benoit. DJ Convoy is everything he's done. He's been behind 100%. <laughs> but the correct answer was Eddie Guerrero. Oh, God damn it. I'm a little surprised by that, actually, here. Um. Yeah, actually. Uh, and honestly, I mean, Eddie is, like, quite literally my favorite wrestler of all time. So maybe I should have went with him. But I didn't think they would pick him. So... I went, I went the Canadian direction and slash murderer direction. So I guess that's <laughs> the man. As you usually do. Well, um, yeah. I, I skipped over this. Let me go back. It says, um, in December, PWI mailed out 171 ballots. The ballots were sent to a cross-section of the sports champions, contenders, and preliminary wrestlers, managers and referees, commissioners and presidents, promoters and matchmakers, journalists, TV announcers, and photographers, and anybody else, quote-unquote, inside the sport. <laughs> so did they just get Dave's mailing list for the Observer Award? Pretty much. I'm, okay. I'm thinking it was just after and Sachs were the only two just choosing. <laughs> they just probably worked all the numbers. So, yeah, we have Eddie Guerrero at number one. This is still E-D-D-Y Guerrero. Good. With Shawn Michaels at two. Dean Malenko at three, Ray Mysterio Jr., M-I-S-T-E-R-I-O, at four, and Bret Hart at five. You know, I mean, that, I, that's a pretty difficult uh, top five to dispute. I mean, I, I feel like that's a pretty fair, I feel like that's a pretty fair list. Yeah, you can make arguments. And it says at 221 pounds, Eddie Guerrero is one of the most effective wrestlers in the world. Now, according to our pollsters, he's the best pound for pound. Last year, we mentioned that 140-pound Rey Mysterio, who had won in this category two years in a row, would be tough to knock off. But Mysterio dipped to a surprising fourth. <laughs> um, yeah, so it also mentions uh, Shawn Michaels nailed down the number two spot for the second year in a row. Michaels, by the way, weighs only 13 pounds more than Guerrero and is far more accomplished, having won the World, Intercontinental, European, and Tag Titles. Again, as we mentioned last year, Guerrero is perceived as being smaller than he really is, which might have led to his increased support. <laughs> his increased mass. Oh, I shouldn't probably say that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, that's interesting because it seems like we've talked about this before, particularly with the PWI 500, really seem to be accomplishment driven. Because I was kind of thinking, what great matches did sean have in 97 98 because that's when sean's work kind of starts to drift off in my opinion and that might be a bit unfair but i, I feel like on the regular eddie would probably be having well i guess it's going to depend on the caliber of opponents both guys have but i feel like eddie's probably having better matches on the regular than sean is at this point that's not necessarily sean's fault but you know how much how much can he do with you know the undertaker or what have you, you know, at that time Exactly. Eddie's getting to wrestle Mysterio, Jericho, exactly. Ultimo Dragon, Psychosis, right. night in, night out. Right. And Michaels is probably working with... Are Hog you and pig. Yeah, no, I'm here. Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I, I can see that. It's kind of like a work rate deal here. And speaking of which, number two, if you could watch the matches of only one wrestler, whom would you choose? Coming in at number one, no surprise after reading that last one, it's Ray Mysterio Jr. at 28%, Shawn Michaels at 20%, and Eddie Guerrero at 
And this one's interesting, Sabu at 19%. And we've mentioned before, Sabu had so much hype um, even before this. And he had like a weird mystique. And the hardcore matches weren't as much of a novelty yet. Um, I think the poll, like they said, was December of 97. So the WWF hardcore division hadn't just, everyone hadn't been hit with a trash can yet. That's so interesting. I, I the more the more I read these, you know, nineteen ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight mags, it's like Sabu was the Lex Luger of the magazines at this time. In that, while he had good matches here and there, it feels like he is such a product of the magazines. Like they're just kind of inventing him from whole cloth. You watch a Sabu match, of course he has good matches, but he has as many misses as he has hits. I think. He was prone to miss. Uh, if you've ever seen his uh, double jump off the chair and ropes. Uh, moving How on to number How many times did he hit that? Go ahead. How many times did he hit that move? Uh, at least half. <laughs> oh, I want stats. I want percentages. Uh, next week, I will have those for you. Thank you. Uh, number three, if you could watch only uh, one tag team, who would you choose? Who's Ooh. your guess on this one? Oh, God. 1998. See, I want to half say it's going to be something weird, like Furnace and Lafon or something. Uh, <laughs> it's like, because they seem to kind of try to appeal to work rate fans more than I would have thought. Um, I'm going to say it's something more pedestrian. I'm going to say, I hope it's not the New Age Outlaws, but that's what I'm going to say. It is not the New Age Outlaws who did not place. It's Excellent. Rick and Scott Steiner. Yes. A good yes. Tag. All right. 32% of the vote for nice. the Steiners, 15 for the Road Warriors. And here's the surprise, 12% for the Midnight Express. But that, do, do, they mean, do they mean Bodacious Bart and Beautiful Bob? Yes. Oh, it, was it, was I, it Bodacious? I, I, I could have got it. I could have got it reversed. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's I'm, I'm I'm almost positive I got it right. I'm sure it's Bodacious Bart and Beautiful Bob, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I would have thought Bart would be more beautiful. Well, I mean, he's fairly bodacious. I mean, look look That's at his past. <laughs> um Yeah, so Hall and Nash come in fourth, uh Rock and Roll Express fifth. Jesus. That's I, crazy. I man, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely, I'll definitely agree with the Steiners. I mean, that's obviously a no-brainer. I, it's interesting that they put the Road Warriors that hot. Well, not that they put them that high. I guess allegedly it's a percentage of the, uh, the the uh, journalists and insiders that they pulled. But it's just like the Road Warriors had nothing going on in, in 1997, 1998. That's true. Yeah, they would have been LOD 2000 probably in 1998 when they with Sunny. Um, or am I jumping the gun a little bit there? Maybe I that was think this is a little bit before that okay. because Sunny is on the cover here, and she's she's not in like the body Donna gear, obviously. So I can't remember who she was with at this time. And like I said, um, this is December of '97 that they actually took the poll. Okay. So, um, so the Rovers are fresh off of breaking either Hog or Pig's neck. I forget. Which one they broke? I think it was Henry. I think it was Henry as well. That's because Henry right. came back as Southern Justice for That's like right. four yeah. weeks. Um, so what this tells me is we needed to see a Rock and Roll Express versus the new New Midnight Express. Oh. That would have been great. Jeez. Number four, who would win a match between Shawn Michaels and Sting? We're coming off like 
a, a lot of inside stuff to a total kayfabe kind of thing here. Um, who's your guess? My my heart says Sting, but I don't think that's what the poll is going to say. You're correct. Shawn yeah. Michaels, 52 to 48. Oh, just squeaked by. Just squeaked by. That's an interesting question here. Who, who's a better worker today? Sean <laughs> or Sting? Well, I, I think it's got to be Sting. It might be Sting. Sting is incredible these days. I think it absolutely Sting. Uh, number five, which North American Federation has the highest quality wrestling? WCW, WWF, or ECW? Oh, see that? Oh, that's a that's a curveball. Yeah. Again, again, smarky work rate stuff. I'm going to go on a limb and say ECW. The correct answer is WCW. Okay. Well, I mean that yeah, is the if, correct answer, but if you th- think about you know the guys who posted uh, highest in the first poll, it's Eddie and Mysterio and guys like that. So um, WCW got 59% of the vote wow. up from. Yeah, up from 47 the previous year. And ECW actually dipped down to 5% from 16%, which is odd. Their 1997-98 isn't the best. It's not. It, they're starting to go down a little bit. Um, obviously, WCW. And again, listeners, if you weren't there at the time, it's kind of hard to picture. They truly had the most talented mid-card possibly ever in the wrestling industry. Like, like literally ever. With guys like Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Ultimo Dragon, Chris Jericho, just a, a complete murderer's row of workers. So that really is a fair answer. I, I was just kind of trying to play <laughs> play the game a little too much, and I thought myself here. I think. Yeah, um, I'm gonna read a little bit of this. Um, the excerpt from this one. It says WCW won for the sixth consecutive year and increased its margin over both the WWF and ECW while gaining an overwhelming majority of the votes support for WWF slipped as many of its top wrestlers, most notably Bret Hart defected to WCW. Surprisingly, ECW support slipped even though over the past year it held its first three pay-per-view events, but those shows were mostly about violence, not wrestling wrote one of our respondents. This question focuses on quality of wrestling not TV, glitz, glamour, or arena lighting. In other words, we didn't care about the Nitro Girls, Mike Tanay's commentary, and Vince McMahon's tuxedos. At press time, five of the wrestlers in the top ten were from WCW, four from WWF, and one from ECW. I mean, that's 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 perfectly fair. I would, again, as a somewhat biased WCW fan, I certainly agree that they had the highest quality of wrestling. They also had the probably the lowest quality of wrestling too. When we Start getting to the top of the uh, card, but that's another story. Absolutely. Uh, which is the premier federation in North America? Unsurprisingly, after these last few questions, WCW coming in with 61%. Wow. Yeah. Over up a little bit from 60% the last year, WWF at 35 and ECW at 4%. Well, no wonder the, the cover said, can WWF come back? Because that, that's not only a victory, that's a dominant victory there. Absolutely. Again, that these are, you know, true figures. That that's a fair question. Yeah. Number seven, would you describe wrestling's immediate future as hopeless, cloudy, status quo, <laughs> promising, or shining? What would you say around time? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I'm gonna go on a limb and say shining. Very close. Shining came in second at thirty-seven ah. percent promising at 41 so 
promising and shining right there at the top, taking 78% of the vote in status quo with 19. So cloudy only won 3% and hopeless 0%. So <laughs> can, can we revisit this? And do we have the 2000? Exactly. Yeah. We may have to check that out. Um, number eight, who really rules Monday nights, WCW, 84%, 84 to 16. And they increased their margin from 63 to 33 the previous year. So holy cow. Now, and that's funny because the, the common, the common parlance these days with hindsight is that this is when WWF starts getting good. The late 97, early 98, that's that's mm-hmm. kind of when they kind of start turning things around. According to some, I, mean, I don't know that I agree with that, but I, I know uh, there's a lot, a lot of consensus that would say that. So, um, Here's a really interesting one. Will Hulk Hogan return to the WWF during the next year? Yeah, don't don't tell me that the that this must be like a yes no proposition. Yes no undecided. And I'm going to say that people said yes. You are correct. Yes with yeah. 51%, no with 41 and undecided with 8. There was always a rumor that he would return and then allegedly and again it's Hulk so you have to take it with a whole shaker full of salt. He claims that he talked to Vince about returning at least a couple of times. I just can't see how he would have fit into 1998 WWF. So I've always kind of rolled my eyes at that. But who knows? Maybe it's true. This is a really interesting write-up about this question because it drifts from insider to kayfabe. Check this out. It says, there have been a lot of rumors about Hogan returning to WWF, the federation where he made his fame, and many of our insiders felt a Hogan return is natural. In quotes, put it this way. Over the next year, McMahon's going to get desperate, one insider said. He's going to start throwing around all kinds of money, maybe more money than any wrestler has ever seen, and Hogan's going to find it irresistible. Besides, Hogan's getting mad. He felt he was robbed at Starcade, and he was. I think he'd like to go back to his roots, reclaim the support of the fans, and go out in a blaze of glory and cheers. <laughs> Give, give him a few years, and that guy is not far wrong about any of that. That's true. Um, number 10. Here's a here's a good one. Who is wrestling's sexiest woman? It has to be Sonny. has to be. It is Sonny at 28%. Sable at 24. Kimberly at 22. Beulah McGillicuddy at 12. Francine at 6. China at 5. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if we've discussed this on the pod before or not, but uh, I've never understood the appeal of Sable. I mean, I get it. Huge chest, huge tease blonde hair. I know Vince, I, all those guys, they absolutely were head over heels for Sable. I think Sonny is more attractive. I feel like Sonny is someone you could actually have a conversation with as opposed to Sable. I, to, to me, it's not even a contest, but I guess that's just my personal taste. Here, here's the conversation you have with Sonny. Hey, you got any pills? No. Okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, bye. Yeah, but what's the conversation you have with Sable? Um, probably less than that, actually. <laughs> I, I like I like women who've actually like read a book in their lives, you know. Sonny's the right answer. Sonny's a ten out of ten. Absolutely. Um. Yeah. Um. So number eleven. I'm just gonna leave it there. Who is the best 
television commentator in wrestling. Ooh, surely they picked Jim Ross. You're going to be very surprised that Jim Ross came in third. Whoa! Right, yeah, I know. Right below Tony Schiavone and Mike Tanay. Mike Tanay won. That's awesome. Mike Tanay won. He may have um, had a little bit of uh, insider track there since he's such a historian <laughs> and knowledgeable guy. But, I mean, Mike Tanay served a very valuable role. He was basically the only one who knew anything about Japanese and Lucha Libre at that right. desk. And it was a very international company at the time. That being said, um, Jim Ross is the best man. I uh, I was never a huge Jim Ross fan. And then I kind of went through a grudging acceptance of Jim Ross. Uh, and then he went on his, um, I guess his modern tour, I guess is the best way to put it, where he started uh, commentating for New Japan. And I'm a very petty, small man. So his New Japan commentary turned me off and his AEW commentary turns me off to this day. So I cannot call him the best, but I know that 99% of people would disagree with me on that. So, you know, that's okay. Here's the thing about Jim Ross. I think he gave a match the big fight main event feel better than anyone else. He probably wasn't the best at calling the action, but for, for me personally... It, he just made things seem so important, um, almost like uh, in football. There's certain commentators who are just dry, such as Joe Buck. Like, I don't think Joe Buck makes things seem super important. Like, a team can win the World Series, and Joe Buck's like, and the Cardinals have won the World Series. <laughs> Whereas, like, a guy like Gus Johnson is just going out of his mind. And I always felt like Jim Ross really made things seem urgent and important. However, I'm looking down this list at Joey Styles at number five, and a serious argument could be made that he is the best because Joey Styles is a yes. fantastic uh, commentator. He carried it by himself. Yeah. No, no, there's a bit of kayfabe the to that. There's a bit of kayfabe to Joey calling stuff on his own. He was heavily produced by Polly, but even so, I can't think of another person on that list. I mean, I love Tony Schiavone. I love Mike Tanay. I can't think of anyone who could have done that stuff on their own. No, and had credibility. He's such a nerd-looking guy with a hardcore audience who loved him. You look at him, open those pay-per-views, the crowd's going nuts. Absolutely. He called the action perfectly. He made things seem important. I think there's a serious argument that he would be the best. And uh, it's interesting that Mike today won. Uh, there's, because at this time, listeners... What they would do with Mike, well, they might have had installed him as the third man permanently at this point. But before that, what they would do is they would only bring him on specifically for the Lucha Libre matches or the international matches or the cruiserweight matches. So essentially, they're kind of copying to the fact that Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan don't know the moves. They don't know the wrestlers. They don't know the history. So they'd bring in Mike Snape for those matches to explain what the importance of Psychosis's mask was or what have you. Mm -hmm. So Mike Tanay really, really was kind of the work rate slash historian guy. And then, yeah, perhaps he had been installed as the third voice by that point. I'm not, I'd, I'd have to check. But yeah, that's, that's very interesting. And yeah, honestly, on that list, maybe Joey Styles would be the best person out of all those people. I definitely agree with you, though, on Jim Ross. I think he probably has a better sense of drama than anyone else there. So I, I, I can definitely see that argument. Um, I'm going to skip down to number 14 with who is the most influential man in wrestling and WCW keeps their place at the top here with Eric Bischoff 
at 40%, Vince McMahon at 31. Here's an interesting part. Hulk Hogan at 20, and then Paul E. Dangerously at 5. I, I'm stunned Vince is – I mean, boy, <laughs> WCW is really just crushing WWF in just every metric at this point, I guess. So I guess it's yep. reflected in these polls. Absolutely. Um, number 15, which is the best weekly wrestling show on TV – here we go again. Monday Nitro at 47%. Raw at 34 A, a little surprise here. Thunder at 11 <laughs> In ECW, it just says ECW's weekly show, 6%. Other 2%. <laughs> Other being what? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, maybe like USWA. There's like one guy <laughs> in Memphis. AWF reruns. <laughs> yeah, they sent a letter to like Bill Dundee, and he's like, "I think that's the best." <laughs> um, number sixteen, which is the most important championship in North America, and this one's a little closer than I would have thought, with the WCW World Title at fifty nine percent, WWF at forty one percent, and the previous year the WWF World Title had won fifty four to forty six. Oh, wow. So they. Yeah, they flipped it. So, so basically, every single time that uh, that uh, Shivani would say that the history of the title stretches back to 1904, which is utterly, completely wrong. That really rubbed off on some people. They really <laughs> believe that it has the prestige going back to 1904. Uh, well, the article says the WWF has had Shawn Michaels on top for a while now, but he hasn't faced a lot of top comp top competition. Although Hulk Hogan was on top of WCW for most of the year and didn't defend the belt frequently, he did go up against the giant Lex Luger and Sting. And it seems as if the WCW world title has become more coveted among wrestlers themselves. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't dispute that in the least. Obviously, boy, are some fortunes going to turn around in about a year's time. <laughs> exactly. This would be interesting. Um. 17, is wrestling better or worse than it was five years ago? 94% say better. Wow. And we have an amazing picture of El Dandy. They chose El Dandy <laughs> and Juventud Guerrero for the picture for, for this. So my man El Dandy is proof that it is better. So, I mean, that, that makes sense to me. Who are you to tell El Dandy? <laughs> He's a jam-up guy. Absolutely. One of the best promos of all. That should be on here. Uh, number 18, who's the most underrated wrestler in the world this one's a tough one man in the world underrated wrestler in the world and i'm these are all north american guys oh well yeah. except for one except for one i was gonna pull out someone random like hayabusa or something or great sasuke um most underrated wrestler i'm going to say see they put over all the work rate guys i'm gonna say jericho you are correct. Whoa, yeah. Yeah, Jericho at 16%. Rocky Maivia at 15%. Ooh, just bubbling under the surface. Wow. Hunter Hearst Helmsley at 14%. <laughs> Disco Inferno at 11%. <laughs> and Takamichi Noku at 9%. Taka, okay. There you go. I, I, I know we've discussed this before, probably in our first or second episode. Again, it's so strange. Disco was beloved by the newsletters, or at least the fans of, of, of Same. He was a beloved figure for a while. The only thing I can think is, it's almost like, if you have a gimmick like that and you're on Saturday night, or you're just like jobbing, 
it's easy to get behind that. Sure. But like, I wouldn't want to see that guy like you know beating DDP or something like that. <laughs> we need we need to strap a rocket to Disco Inferno. <laughs> yeah, those record sales are killing it. We gotta capitalize. Uh, number nineteen. Conversely, who's the most overrated wrestler in the world? Hulk. Hulk Hogan is not on this list. Really? I wow. cannot believe that. That is stunning. You're going to be, yeah. You're going to be blown away. I want to give you another guess, though. Okay. Um, overrated. See, I would almost have said Hunter, but see, he's not in a position to be overrated yet. I hope it's not Sting. It is Sting. Oh, no. Sting at 29%. Kurt Hennig at 24%. Steve Austin at 15%, Conan at 9, Luger at 7, and Sandman at 6. And I got to read a little bit from this one. <laughs> Shocking results from the number one to number three spots, considering that Sting, Hennig, and Austin are three of the best known wrestlers in the world. But Sting wrestled only three matches in 97 and beat Hulk Hogan, last year's winner, in controversial finishes twice. Kurt decided to join the NWO after joining the Four Horsemen and lost the U.S. title to DDP. Steve Austin, who relies more on brawling than his technical wrestling skills now, forfeited the Intercontinental title to Rocky Maivia. As for Sting, in quotes, he didn't wrestle, wrote one respondent. Why was he getting so much respect when he didn't wrestle? Question mark. As for his Starcade performance, one insider wrote, he lost. It was clear. After all the buildup, he lost. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah wow and, and that goes to show how much they bungled that year build up to that match by having sure. to get in. i i just it, it stuns me to this day and i had probably i probably told the story before perhaps i haven't i bought that with my own money that that starcade and i promised myself i was done i was done with wcw i was done with wrestling if sting didn't win mm-hmm. and sting doesn't win and i was like well that's it for me and then of course you know Bret Hart comes out and restarts the match, and I guess Sting wins, quote unquote. But yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously, just a just an all time epic botch on WCW's part. But you know, I mean, I guess you can make the argument that he would be overrated since he hadn't really wrestled at all. So I mean, I guess, I guess there's a kind of sense that makes. Um, skipping down to number twenty one, who is wrestling's best brawler, and this is interesting that it is Steve Austin. After he was sort of criticized for just being a brawler. Being a brawler. Well, and it's interesting because obviously he did have technical wrestling skills. Obviously, after he gets paralyzed, he does completely change his style to just, you know, walk and brawl pretty much. He's so charismatic that most people don't notice or care, I guess. But yeah, obviously the quality of his work. I guess you can't say it suffers. It's just completely different to what it was prior if you watch him as stunning steve austin it's a completely different wrestler but you know that makes sense it makes sense why he's different so here's uh skipping down to number 24 who gives the best interviews and surely Surely. um rick flair placed but he's third (laughs) wow you are going to be shocked at number two you're going to be shocked but I want to give you another guess at number one. I don't think Foley's really known as a stick man yet, or at least he probably hadn't like been given the opportunity yet. So I won't say Foley. 
If you say it's like Shawn Michaels or something, I'm going to freak out. Um, I, mean, I just can't imagine who they would rate over over Flair. I, I don't know. Hit me. Steve Austin is number okay. one, which makes sense. But number two, Larry Zabisco. What? Larry Zabisco has no. whipped up an anti-NWO sentiment in WCW, it says. <laughs> now, Larry, God bless Larry. I like Larry Zabisco. When I was a, you know, 17, 18-year-old kid watching Nitro, and he'd stand up and he'd bow and he'd do his, his little hand gesture and he'd point to the crowd and they'd all be screaming, Larry, Larry. I was screaming, Larry, Larry, too. All I knew at that time was that he was some old wrestle man and he shouldn't mess with him because he was a tough guy. That's all I knew. Yeah. Of course, now, you know, I've gone back and I've watched, you know, more Larry Sabisco matches than the average fellow. I'll just put it that way. Larry is a perfectly acceptable wrestler. <laughs> I think that that's a fair way to put it. I he's fine on promos, but that, I that that is that is baffling to me. Baffling. Absolutely baffling to me. Also, there, <laughs> I I wow. can't believe it. Ric Flair at three, Hulk Hogan at four, and Rocky Maivia at five. At least, so, at least people recognize I, that's interesting again that he's he's kind of just bubbling underneath the surface. People un- see something there. Absolutely. Up from zero percent the previous year. So <laughs> I'm gonna guess he rockets up the list. Yeah. He he has like at, the, at that time when he would like cut a promo on the NWO or whatever, he would just he just goes into Larry Sabisco mode and just talks about time is better than the legends and blah and he's just ramble on it's not like concise promos it's not pointed promos at all i don't i don't understand beautiful lines such as the new world odor got him second place in this uh poll (laughs) he really got Uh, them with that one skipping down to number 27 can the wwf reclaim its top spot as the number one federation in north america 53 percent of respondents said no whereas 47% 47% said yes. So that shows, um, like like we said earlier, I think for six years, WCW had won in the poll of who was the best um, just general show each year. And so, I mean, it's split almost right down the middle that they didn't think uh, WWF may ever be able to get it back. Well, and who would have, you know, I guess the term too big to fail comes to mind. Whoever thought that WCW would go away? So I can see I can see why someone might vote that way. But I think that's also interesting that WCW has had such crushing victories in like 90% of this poll so far. But you can just tell there's a little bit of sentiment there that maybe WWF can turn around. And obviously time would prove that to be correct. Uh, here's an interesting one. Moving down to number 31. Should ECW get world title status? 51% say no. 48% say yes. And the previous year, it was flipped where 51 said yes and 44 said no. So ECW apparently on its way down in the eyes of many voters. Now, PWI um, re- readers, listeners, I should say, um, P- PWI would typically grant world title status if like certain conditions were met. Essentially, if the title had been defended 
a number of times internationally was usually their base basic criteria. They would have some other criteria sometimes. And like, even today, I think they still apply some different criteria than that, but I think that's kind of an interesting one. Um, they did obviously have a relationship. Uh, I think at that point it would have been the dregs of FMW. I would believe um, they definitely had some co-promoted shows. So I don't know if specifically the world title was ever defended on any of those shows. So that's a very interesting question. Obviously, since they're essentially the third major promotion in North America, you could certainly make the argument either way. Um, yeah, and to go off topic for just a minute, I, I just want to ask you a few questions here. Do you consider yeah. the ROH title a world title? Um, it was defended in the UK. Um, I don't know if it was ever defended in Japan. Uh, obviously, ROH had shows in Japan, so possibly. Yeah, I would probably consider that a world title. Okay, see, my criteria for a world title is basically um, a little different of just where was it defended as is, like, what's the quality of the competition, yes. basically. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if I would consider ROH at this point a world title. What about Impact? Would you consider that a world title? The problem with Impact is that they don't travel out of their sphere. They have in the past. They, they did uh, travel to the U.K., um, ROH nowadays, I boy, it's tough. At one point, ROH had the absolute best wrestlers in the world, but that's a that's a point that we were talking 15 years ago. Impact, um, they have some very good talent, but I mean, it's just not like a destination. I would probably say no to Impact being a world title. I would have said no until Kenny Omega won the title. Well, okay, yeah, that's that's a fair point, and I guess you know. Christian holding it currently is also a pretty big deal. And I'm actually, and to, again, not to go too far off topic, I'm not a huge impact guy. Um, we, we pay for the impact service, the $5 YouTube gimmick. So we, we watch it a little bit here and there. Um, I do love Josh Alexander and Josh Alexander is going to be challenging for the title. And uh, I think they're all in on Josh Alexander. I think he is absolutely a world-class talent. So, you know, they could certainly build the prestige of their title back up at some point. So, you know, yeah. And certainly after Kenny held it, that's an excellent point as well. And, you know, Christian's no slouch, even if I'm not a huge fan. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess they would have a better uh, claim to it right now than, you know, uh, ROH would. I love Bandito, but Bandito is, you know, a pretty, pretty small, um, Small, small in recognition, I should say. Uh, it's you know only to the hardest of the hardcore going to know who Bandito is, I suppose. All right, moving down to number thirty-six. Who is wrestling's most promising new star? Ooh. Bill, Bill Goldberg wins this one at thirty-four percent. At this is some interesting runners up here though. Takamichi Noku at twenty-five. Just incredible at thirteen. Oh. Juventud Guerrera at eleven. And Prince Iakea at 6%. No Rocky? Well, here, here it is. Last year, our insiders chose Rocky Maivia. So he was on the ballot for last year. Um, he, he went on to win the uh, Intercontinental title. Good choice, folks. Chris Jericho was second last year, and he went on to win the Cruiserweight title. This year's winner is Bill Goldberg, who has, in just a few months, become one of WCW's most popular and feared stars. In quotes, Give him one more year of experience at most, and he'll be ready to go after the world title, said one respondent. <laughs> then there's Takamichi Noku, 
who already has won the WWF light heavyweight title. In quotes, he's no fluke, wrote a respondent. He has the tools to become a top wrestler in the heavyweight division, given some time. Just incredible, the former Aldo Montoya has beaten international star the great Sasuke, Juventud Guerrera, is finally winning in WCW, and Prince Iakeo is PWI's Rookie of the Year for 1997. So wow. they kind of put everyone over there. Yeah. Wow, just incredible. I don't know. <laughs> that's I, a bad one. Yeah, I don't know about that one. And I love talking Mishinoku. I mean, that's a very underrated wrestler, but I can't imagine him ever, in, in particularly in WWF, ever – uh doing anything past what he did i mean the, they're just not built to push someone like taka mishinoku if taka had been in wcw um who knows what would have happened i think that might have been a much better fit for him i always think that about furnace and lafon who i mentioned earlier they were completely in the wrong place they could have had great matches with the steiners they could have had great matches with harlem heat they could have had wacky brawls with the nasty boys uh public enemy Completely in the wrong place for those guys. WWF, again, not set up for that. They're not set up for tag team wrestling. It's not, it's not a priority of Vince's whatsoever. Nor is pushing an underweight Japanese person. I mean, that, that just call a spade a spade. In WCW, you know, I don't think he would have reached the top of the card, but, you know, I think he could have. I, I, I think I think it might have been a much better fit for him in the long run. I think he's probably psychosis level, probably yeah. a little higher. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he would have had matches with Ultimo Dragon. He would have had matches with Eddie, Benoit. I mean, who knows what could have happened there. In full disclosure, I was a Prince Iakea fan when he came out. Yeah, you've told me that before. I I remember watching Prince Iakea and just thinking, you know, who's this jerk? And he never (laughs) won me over until the Prince gimmick, which is obviously, you know, 2000 era. And that was so tongue-in-cheek, I got a kick out of that. But yeah, I I never really cared for Prince Iakea. I think he did the thing where he was just a, a jobber and he randomly won a match. He he beat he beats a, a Steve Regal on like a random nitro or something like that. I think it's a nitro, and the crowd goes insane because you know Regal's so good at what he does. Yeah, and, you know he. I'm sure Regal made a wonderful. I was beaten face. You know, it's probably like a time limit thing or something like that. And the, the, the rookie went over, but yeah, I just I just never really saw much out of uh, Prince Iacamp. That's the case of just a great debut. Like I would sure. at that point, I would always pop for something like that. And he just they just had me as a Prince Ikea fan. And then he had a cool feud with uh, Jericho, too. Yeah. Yeah. Which I liked. So uh, he wasn't like great in the ring by any means. He was pretty pedestrian. But um, I just for some reason, I had a soft spot for Prince Ikea. It's an interesting thing of, of WCW because usually they were taking guys who were already fairly well formed internationally or on the indie scene prince iaka is pretty much them trying something from whole cloth so that is definitely something that's not usually in their playbook so i can see why that might appeal to you sure yeah i think he was uh a guy who they gave a shot and then they sent to new japan for a little while yeah then he came back and then yeah in the late or in 2000 they started doing they russoed him up and gave him the artist (laughs) formerly known which is, it's funny, but it's like, that's not going to really... Obviously, it's never going to draw a dime, and no one's ever going to care about something like that. But yeah, it, it, it tickled me at the time. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Um, number 37, and this one's pertinent to today. Uh, should there be more stringent rule enforcement in wrestling? 58% say yes, and 42% say no. 
I bet if you had that poll today, you'd have probably a pretty significant. It'd probably be pretty close to that figure. I bet. I would be interested, and I am. I'm torn because obviously it would limit what you can do in some ways, but at the same time, if you're going to present it as a sport, there at some point needs to be some rule enforcement, but you don't want constant DQs. And that's one thing AEW does that I really like. They don't screw you on finishes. So it's, it's hard, you know, you can, that is, it is a tough line. It's a tough line to kind of uh, straddle there. And yeah, AEW is very good about not giving you time limit draws, except for <laughs> a famous, a famous one that happened just a couple of days ago. They're, they're good at not giving you screwy finishes for the most part. However, they are very bad at the referees. Uh, let's just say looking the other way, at, particularly in the tag team division. Uh, that's just the kind of style that people like. So that seems to be what they did. But, you know, I, I, the, the one that comes to mind, particularly Rick Knox, who is essentially in, in both kayfabe and in real life, the personal referee of the young bucks, he looks the other way so much that I could have sworn that they were making a a storyline out of, they've yet to actually do that. But I was really thinking they were going to make him their version of Nick Patrick. at one. I hope they don't. I hope not as well, but I really thought that was the direction they were going. I'm surprised JR hasn't ever just had a reference of, you know, sometimes in football, there are certain refereeing crews who quote unquote, let them play and they may not call the game as tight. You know, that's like one way to kind of, if, <laughs> if, if there's an obvious oversight, you could just say, oh, he's letting them, you know, he's is, is that is that the football them. equivalent of bowling shoe ugly? <laughs> Pretty that much. Kind of the, well, I mean, actually, fans are, um, they prefer crews that let them play because you don't want constant penalties and stuff like that, sure. you know, ticky-tack stuff. So, uh, well, I, I, I kind of, I, I seem to recall the, the days where I used to pay attention to basketball are very long behind me. But I seem to recall uh, when Michael Jordan was uh, the man, he was really chummy at the referees and therefore he got to travel a lot. And, you know, I guess that doesn't bother some people, but I, it, it bother me because my team would be <laughs> the Seattle supersonics would be crushed under the ambition of the bulls. So I always was like, look at that guy. Look, he's, he's chumming it up with the referees. They're looking the other way and they don't care. So obviously it happens in real life sports. I wish one of the referees would have like tore a shirt open. There's just a bulls Jersey under it. <laughs> Tremendous. Number 40. This one's interesting. Uh, should this be Ric Flair's last year as a wrestler? <laughs> 54% said yes. Whoa, an indictment. And uh, guess what, folks? It was a long, uh, <laughs> long road after this. You know, I, I think that sometimes, too, it's like, boy, you know, I have this picture in my head of Ric Flair. It's like, I wish he kind of hadn't done anything after, say, 1997 or so. But obviously, he still has some good. He still has some good stuff left ahead of him. So, I was at his retirement match versus Shawn Michaels. I, oh wow! Me and my friend drove from Knoxville down to Orlando, and man, that was. Uh, I was kind of pissed when he came back and wrestled again. To be I honest, I was just say I was just that's exactly what I was just going to ask you. Did you feel invalidated when he wrestled again? So I was pissed. Yes. Yeah. I felt like it was a very emotional crowd, especially the raw the next night. And we, we poured it all out for him, man. Sure. Like, and, and then for him to just throw that away, you know, I understand from him, he's an addict, 
so addicts behave irrationally so he he can't help it but at the same time i was at the time i was a little pissed but i think i think what's the worst part about that too if he had come if he had a reason to come back and like you probably would have looked the other way if there was if there was a, such a heated situation where he has to throw down the suit and i'm coming out of retirement for one last time if they had given you a good reason for that then that's one thing but it's tna and there was yeah. never a good reason for him to come out of retirement. And it's a bad reason. Did, you know, yeah, anything he did there. He had some, like, fun interviews in TNA, but any of the matches he ended up having there, completely not worth uh, coming back for. So, yeah, I can totally see the frustration there. All right. Skipping down to number 41, who has the best clothesline in wrestling? Um, At that time, are they going to say Scotty Steiner? You're very close. They gave it to Rick Steiner. Okay. That's fair. Yeah, very, very close. Rick Steiner at 28%. Uh, number 20 or number two at 26%, The Undertaker. And number three, Vader at 13%. Was, was Hanson on there at all? Hanson's not on here right now. Lex Whoa. Luger at four, Hawk at five, and others received 16% of the vote. So he may be in that chunk. I mean, obviously, Hanson has got the best clothesline of all time. The Lariat, I should say. I guess there's a difference between a clothesline and a Lariat. But, uh, you know, yeah, that, that's uh, Rick, Rick Steiner certainly has, you know, I mean, so much so that they call it the Steiner line. So I can't I can't complain too hard about that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. When you have when you're synonymous with a clothesline. Yeah, I think that's uh, Does Undertaker a really good... have a particularly uh, I'm, I'm trying to picture in my head because I'm just such a not Undertaker fan. So I'm probably not the right person to complain about it. But I'm just trying to think, like, does he have a particularly good uh, clothesline? I don't really I don't he think had, of that when I think of his move set, I guess. He had that like jumping clothesline. Yeah, um, OK. I th- so I think that probably stuck out in a lot of people's minds because All no right. one else did a clothesline like that. I don't think it particularly looked great, but yeah. it, it was distinct. And that's okay. probably I mean, half the battle. Yeah, that, that's that's fair enough. Because yeah, I was just trying to think of like you know him having a particularly wicked clothesline. I just couldn't really think of it. When when I think of wicked clotheslines, it begins and ends with Hanson. But yeah, Vader obviously is a, a good shout. Uh, you know, the burning lariat of uh, Kenta Kobashi comes to mind. Uh, you know, a few other cats like that. So yeah, you know, fair enough. There's a really great NWA clip where a jobber hits like a karate kid kick and hits Rick Steiner right in the chin and legitimately just sends Rick Steiner flying and he lands on his head. The jobber stricken with fear and also amazement at what he's done, looks at the camera and is like, Oh shit. Rick Steiner stands up immediately says, we're going to the finish whips him into the ropes and knocks him out with a clothesline. Oh, I've got to see this. This sounds Pin so him. The a guy's partner starts to get in the ring. Rick Steiner stands up and looks at him. He exits <laughs> and jumps off the apron. <laughs> and it is absolutely amazing. Can you imagine being, you know, the let's let's be nice and say the local talent. You get you get to the venue and you see that you've been paired with against the Steiner brothers or just Rick Steiner It's all oh, your, your stomach must just sink when you see that. There's so many guys that you wouldn't have wanted to see their name on the list, like oh. Ronnie Garvin, LOD, 
Hanson, like you said, there's so many dudes that yeah. you just be like, why am I doing I've, I've this? Got, I've got to see that clip. I've got to see that clip. I've got to find it. I'll try to dig it out for you. Uh, skipping down to number 45, which is the best submission hold? Sharp I love I love submissions as a kid, and Sharpshooter is number one at 28%. Yes. Shamrock's ankle lock at 22, always a good one. Sure. Number three, a favorite of mine, the Rings of Saturn. Oh, yeah, terrific move. Yeah, because no no one else really used the Rings of Saturn that much. Yeah, not really. I, uh, not recently until until uh, uh, PAX started using it as the Brutalizer. I don't, the Rings of Saturn is pretty pretty underutilized mostly. I loved it, man, because Saturn would like run, like uh, whip his head around violently as he had it on, and it just looked cool. And it I was... think Saturn's another dude that's kind of underrated. Uh, he he's a pretty he's a pretty fair hand, I think. I love Saturn. I yeah, think I agree with you. Really underrated. He just couldn't talk. Yeah, he was not he was not the greatest on the mic. I, he he had his entertaining moments. Uh, I would think the the only real drawback I would say to him is they kind of in WCW particularly kind of patterned him after Taz a little bit. He's kind of their Taz in a sense. Uh, so much so, I think he's even got FTW written on his tape one time. Uh, okay. So they're probably going a little too far in the let's make him our Taz direction. But yeah, and you can tell that like uh, Heenan really, uh, you can tell when Heenan liked dudes because he would actually really work hard to put them over. And so whenever Saturn would show up, he would always point out that, you know, this guy's an army ranger. This this guy, you know, he's so tough and blah, blah, blah. He, he clearly liked Saturn. Saturn had a website in the late 90s in like an early version of a blog where he would review movies. Oh, it was wow. Great. It was wow. good. I've got to yeah. go to the web. See, you ruined me for this weekend. Not only am I going to have to go to this wrestling, wrestling website, uh, uh, wrestling bag website. I'm going to have to go to the Wayback Machine and find Saturn's old blog. That sounds incredible. I can remember him talking about, like, they had a boom in the shot. <laughs> he'd be like, he'd like <laughs> critique the production of the movies. Awesome. Um, moving down to 47 as we wrap up, who has the best suplexes? <sighs> See, I want to say Taz, but I don't, I don't know if he's going it, to. It's just been so WCW-centric. Scotty Steiner. You you should trust your gut. You just mentioned it was Taz. Okay. You overthought it a little bit. Shamrock at number two. Yeah. Benoit at three. Benoit, sure. Shane Douglas at four. Shane just throws the belly to belly. Well, okay. You know, I'll give him some. He had some decent suplexes. He he did the um, belly to belly for sure. And it it wasn't that great, but. It was his finish for a long time. Like before, uh, eventually, I think he starts using like a fisherman suplex or a fisherman buster as a, as a finish. I think. I think he also had a submission. Yeah. It was like Uh, a million dollar dream. He would, he would do the, he would do the double arm DDT as well. But I think like. he, it was like I think he called it like the Pittsburgh plunge or something like that. I think he used a first Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, the uh, belly to belly was a finish because I think um, I think the idea was that he was billed as uh, the nephew of Paul Orndorff, perhaps like he was Troy <laughs> Orndorff. Does that sound right in WWF? I, I don't like remember in, that. But it's funny. Like to me. 1987, 1988, somewhere in there, and I think he he would use the belly to belly as a tribute and yeah i think he used the belly to belly for a long time you're absolutely correct that was his finish uh for a long time um all right moving let's just go right to number 50 
This is the grand finale. Who has the best overall finisher? And I'm just going to tell you right now, there is a mix of submissions and impact maneuvers here. Are so, they going to give it to Goldberg and the Jackhammer? It's not Goldberg. Oh, damn. Stone Cold Stunner. Stone Cold Stunner comes in at number two, Ooh. right below the Diamond Cutter. Oh, Diamond Cutter. Ah. And Diamond again, listen, Cutter. dear listeners, you might not understand because uh, you, you might just be exposed to the RKO. And the RKO is great. And Randy Orton's really good at hitting it out of nowhere, just like just like they say on TV. DDP, particularly in the run-up where he's starting to become super popular, he could put on the Diamond Cutter a lot of different ways and they're almost always impressive and this is another guy that Heenan went out of his way to put like he, he, he him Goldberg sometimes Saturn sometimes a couple others like Eddie Guerrero sometimes he loved DDP he loved the diamond cutter and when DDP would come up with a weird variation of diamond cutter maybe he'd hit it off a guy off the top kind of like a Tower of London uh, maybe, maybe he would spin around kind of like a TKO and do it Keenan would freak out. He'd just be like, oh, the diamond cutter. He hit the diamond cutter from any direction. There, there was really a time where DDP was looked as innovative for just hitting the, D, the diamond cutter in a number of different ways. Absolutely. And the di- he had two things going for him with the diamond cutter. One, he, like you said, he could hit it out of anywhere. So really yeah. three, hit it out of anywhere. And it was quick. It was like, oh, he just hit the finisher. And then thirdly, also... He had the cool like hand signal yeah. that you could do as a fan also. Yeah. So it really brings you into it. And uh, D- Diamond Cutters 1, Stunner 2, Tombstone 4, Sharpshooter, excuse me, uh, Tombstone 3, Sharpshooter 4, Torture Rack 5, which I'm surprised it's that low, Taz Mission 6, and Ultimo Dragon, Dragon Sleeper at 7. I love the Dragon Sleeper. What a great, uh, a great Funny hole. story. Uh, my bu- good friend, Mr. Nathan Cooper, who will be on the show eventually. I look forward to you uh, talking with him. He, he's a wealth of wrestling knowledge. And um, we were on AOL back in the day, if you, if you remember <laughs> AOL. And might have been doing a bit of boozing at the time. We're probably in our early 20s. And my buddy Chip picks up the phone and kicks Nathan off of AOL, who immediately storms in the room to see Chip sitting on the floor with the phone looking guilty and puts him in a dragon sleeper. <laughs> an ex- I mean, he had his head like touching his back. <laughs> oh he put him God. in this dragon sleeper. Chip just goes limp because he wasn't going to fight it. And I was like, you killed him. You killed him. <laughs> he, he looked dead. And he immediately just goes back in the room and logs back on AOL. <laughs> Tremendous. What a, what, a, what, a, what a beautiful hold. And obviously... You can try it at home, kids. <laughs> try it at home. It's effective. It's clearly Cooper, effective. Cooper also had a signature move where he would bite your big toe. Oh. And I never met a man who wouldn't tap out from that. It, <laughs> it was brutal. And then his other finisher was a Steiner recliner, which he called the, the Cooper Rock. And I was smart enough to always be his tag team partner. And we literally almost killed several people hitting uh, Dudley death drops on them. <laughs> we would hit Dudley death drops out of nowhere on people. Oh. And it almost never ended well. That's so funny. My friends and I, when we would kind of, we would kind of wrestle around a little bit. We never really did like submissions or anything like that. Uh, 
I definitely uh, supl- <laughs> suplexed my buddy, not through a wall, but uh, I definitely hurt a wall by suplexing a friend. Once. After that, a... we didn't we didn't uh, we didn't fool around quite as much as we used to. After I kind of uh, perhaps injured him and perhaps injured the wall. More importantly, well, statute of limitations, you sure. know, it's probably run out by now. I have a great picture of uh, Cooper hitting a regal roll on our buddy Adam as he was sleeping, which it's just like perfect in midair as he's hitting this. And I'm just in the background. Someone else is taking it. I'm just in the background with wonder in my eyes. I appreciate, I appreciate like attacking a sleeping victim <laughs> who can't fight back. He was definitely a heel. All right. So I'm going to wrap it up. I'm just going to read the uh, excerpt here from best overall finisher. Almost all of these moves slash holds have two things in common. They're quick and effective. Hart's sharpshooter, Taz's Taz mission, Luger's rack, and Ultimo Dragon's sleeper usually result in submissions. The others usually lead to pins. Either way, the moves result in victories. The Diamond Cutter takes the top prize for the second year in a row. It revitalized his career and helped him win the WCW US title. Austin's Stone Cold Stunner is used more than any of these moves. Austin has relied upon it to take him to near the top of the WWF, but there is no one dominant finishing move hold in wrestling. Wrestlers try to come up with their own unique finishers that set them apart from other wrestlers. In quotes, these days, wrestlers are known for their finishers, wrote one respondent. It's an extension of a wrestler's personality and ultimately decides whether he is a success or failure. And that's a really interesting quote. Because if you go back, there were many NWA titles that were won with just schoolboys. Absolutely. Or inside packages or something. It, you don't see many matches just end in sudden fashion like that. And I think uh, that could be something that wouldn't be a bad thing if they brought it back. Well, that's interesting, too, because that was exactly what you were just describing about the diamond cutter. And so they kind of backed you up exactly what you were just saying about it, that it's something where you can just end the match just instantly. And uh, yeah, absolutely. So that, that kind of out of nowhere snap finish. Yeah. That could definitely have a place in today's uh, today's wrestling. I guess, I guess you have like Moxley with his, uh, I, I guess the death rider and the paradigm shift. If you watch enough are kind of two different moves, the, the paradigm shifts, a double underhook DDT, the death rider, is closer to a brain buster, theoretically. I guess it depends on the opponent he's putting it on. Yes. Uh, but yeah, well, uh, other than that, you know, yeah, everyone else takes a lot of finagling. I, I love the one-winged angel, but it takes Kenny, you know, an hour to put it on somebody. So it's not That's really true. something where he's just going to, you know, it's not like a snapdragon suplex where he just hits it instantly and just crushes somebody with it. He's got to go through the whole setup of hoisting the guy up and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I, I that's that's definitely something that you that could see a comeback in today's wrestling, sure. Absolutely. And man, I had a lot of fun talking to you going through this list. We took a week off. Good to come back and uh, catch up with you, man. Really appreciate you being my uh co-host here. I couldn't do it without you. I'm happy to be your wingman and this one was a lot of fun. This was an excellent choice. This was awesome. So to anyone still listening, if you made it through it, we really appreciate it. Uh, do us a favor. We're trying to get a little traction here. If you have a friend who's into wrestling podcasts, share this with them. Tell them uh, something a little different here. Maybe they'd like it. And for myself, Brute McVeigh, and my co-host, DJ Convoy, 
to Mr. and Mrs. Listener and all the ships at sea. Thanks for listening. <laughs>